All right, join, join me in James chapter 3 as we continue to talk about the tongue. Here's a big idea. James is real Christianity. This whole book can be summarized in this. These are the convictions, and this is the lifestyle of a real Christian. This is the oldest book in your New Testament. James is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Christians have been disseminated like seed throughout the empire because of persecution. Apparently, James is hearing reports about the conduct and the convictions of believers that have been dispersed. And this little letter is a coach, a pastor, almost, you could say, like a spiritual parent with imperatives challenging God's people to live out their faith because genuine faith works. It's more than words, it works. And it's characterized by these behaviors. And we've been talking paragraph by paragraph through the validating genuine expressions of real Christianity. And the way I would summarize this paragraph related to the tongue, real faith is validated by its understanding and use of the tongue. Real faith is validated, it's demonstrated by its understanding and use of the tongue. Real faith recognizes that the tongue is a key point of personal weakness. That's why it says in verse 2, we all stumble, don't seek to be a teacher, because teachers talk a lot, they're more highly accountable, they're more responsible. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, misstep with words, he is a perfect man, teleos, a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. We all stumble in many ways. Contextually, one of the ways we stumble the most is with our tongue. We are prone to stumble as it relates to our words. And recognizing that our tongue is a key point of personal weakness, and because of its power and influence, it must be a Christian's focus. James is going to argue that there is no tool more powerful than the member, this muscle in your mouth called the tongue. It has dramatic power and impact. And because it does its influence, and because of its potential source of weakness, you need to focus on your tongue. So maybe I should begin with the way I'd like to end. You need to target your tongue. It needs to be a focus of vigilance and diligence, because it is an indicator of who you are. If you manage it well, you are a mature person as a Christian, and if you fail to manage it, you're an immature person. Your tongue matters because of its power and influence. It has big influence, small in size, big in impact. Target it. And we're going to talk about the way that James unpacks this, and we started last week. So let's jump right in. Verse 3, after he talks about the uh, tendency to fumble the ball with words. Verse 3, now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their whole entire body as well. Look at the ships also, they, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds. 
They are directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So two figures, a bit in the mouth of a big horse, a rudder governing and guiding and steering a big ship. No matter the resistance, whether the wind is in the sail or in opposition, the power of the tongue is likened to a rudder and to a bit, verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body. And then this two-import two, uh, phrase, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue can be a tool to bring glory and praise to God in the gospel. Boast means to declare. It means to lift up your head and say it out loud. Karen and I are going through the Psalms, and you hear David say, Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord means you with words, with praise, adoration, verbalization, you declare God's goodness and greatness. That's what a Christian does. That's what a Christian is. You'll never boast or talk or declare about anything bigger than when you talk about God and the good news of the gospel of God that saves The tongue can talk about great things. And the tongue can also talk in a way that destroys things. And that's where we get to verse 5. It has the power to direct your life. I'll tell you what, let's look at something real quick. Psalm 106, turn back there. Um, It's a really sobering revelation in the Psalms about the power of the sun, excuse me, of the tongue to direct your life. One of the arguments we made last week is your tongue can direct and define and determine the direction of your life, just like a rudder on a ship. It can define outcomes. Psalm 106, reading this week in the Psalms, Watch what it says in verse 32. It's talking about Israel. The the, the sum context of Psalm 106 is how far or how low God's people can go and how far God will go to rescue. That's the big idea. And then in this psalm, it highlights the people of God going low by complaining against God and those who led the people of God Moses and Aaron, verse 32. They also provoked him. This is talking about the covenant people of God, Israel. They also provoked him. The him is implied from the previous section, him being God, Yahweh, to wrath at the waters of Meribah. That's because they had no water, they were thirsty, and they were complaining, God brought us out here to die. So they're contending with God. That's what the word Meribah means, contention. So Now watch verse 32 at the end. So that it went hard with Moses on their account. So get this picture. The people of God are complaining. They're provoking God. And they also provoke the man of God. And it went hard on him because of them. So they're misbehaving. And it affects the leader. Now watch why it affects the leader. Verse 33, Because they were rebellious against His Holy Spirit, He spoke rashly with His lips. So, 
Get the picture. Moses, it went hard on him. Because they were rebelling against God, they provoked God, therefore they provoked him. And as a consequence of provoking God and him, he misbehaves with his lips. Does anybody know what went hard with Moses ended up being and equaling? Moses, the man of God, who delivered the people of God out of Egypt, the waters parted with his rod. He provided miraculous leadership, significant leadership. Moses, who went with God's people his entire life, did not get to enter the land of promise. It went hard on him because he never saw the land of plenty, the land of blessing, the land of benefit. Why did he not go into the land? God took him up on a mountain and said, you can look at it, but you're not going to enter it. Your life is going to end at the edge of bounty and blessing. Why? Because you spoke rashly with your lips. You were unholy with your tongue. Listen, your tongue can define the direction of your life, even if you have a significant place of authority and influence. Now, if you're a parent, you're a teacher, you're a pastor, you're an adult leader, Let this sink in on you, because the truth is we are responsible for the frustration we express when we are provoked by the failure and immaturity of others. You can justify harsh words, rash words. Well, if you hadn't done that, you hadn't said that. How many times do I have to tell you, parent to child, leader to parishioner, coach to students, it went bad for him because they did, by their behavior, provoke him. And you could argue, Moses would say, listen, they're they're, they're violating God. I have every right to be frustrated with them. Look, you may get frustrated, but you can't let this member define your expression of frustration because those frustrations you're accountable for. The people of God are responsible for the provocation, but Moses is accountable for his reaction. Rash words can define your future. It also applies to the early part of James 3. If I'm a teacher, there's a stricter judgment. Moses misspeaks, and it costs him the blessing of the land of abundance, Canaan. Land flowing with milk and honey. The victory experience he forfeited because he spoke rashly with his lips. It can, the tongue, define your future in ways that are very painful, unfortunate, and it houses great loss. Turn over to another parallel passage before we jump back into this section. I just want to punctuate this. This is First Peter chapter 3. Worthy of your consideration as well as your memorization and meditation. I love this section because it's so vivid in what is forfeited if you don't manage this instrument. The context is Peter's talking to the people of God who he knows would desire to enjoy the blessing of God. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, Verse 10, the one who desires life, 
This is a quote from the Old Testament. The one who desires life, they want to experience life. And they want to love and see good days. Must keep his tongue from evil. And his lips from speaking deceit. The context for evil is in verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. You were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. The one who desires life to love and see good days, to taste and experience the blessing of God, the abundant life, figured by the land of Canaan in Moses' context, must keep his tongue from evil. What kind of evil? Evil word for evil word. Unkind word for unkind word. Insult for insult. And must keep his lips from speaking deceit. Deceit is behind your back injury. Evil for evil is face-to-face confrontation. Deceit has the idea of, you don't see me, but I'm hurting you. I'm manipulating my words to injure you because I'm not strong enough to face you. It's like slander. I just want you to see the connection that you must turn away from evil, must, keyword evil, relational evil. You must do good, contextually, your words and your actions. You must seek peace and pursue it. Here's another motivator, for ground or reason, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, those who are rightly relating with words and actions, and His ears, God's ears, attend to their prayer. He's paying attention. He's listening. But, adversative conjunction, on the other hand, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, let me say this plainly. When this member gives kind for kind, rashly, harshly, without consideration of the grace of God's kindness toward you, You forfeit blessing you can't even measure. Do you want to love life and see good days? Me too. Do you want to forfeit the blessing of God? Don't manage this. It has the power to direct your life. I'm arguing that real Christianity understands the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue to direct your life and to destroy your life and somebody else's life, which is, go back to James chapter 3, which is where he goes next. The tongue has power to direct and destroy your life and somebody else's life. End of verse 5. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Small and big. Small member, big damage. Devastating damage. And listen, if there's any group I don't need to educate about the power of a fire, it's probably a California group. And if you just got transplanted, I'm thinking Oregon may have fires too, Elliot. The fact is, fires consume things. You can't manage them. You can't control them. You can't limit them. I mean, Karen and I were in San Francisco for a conference, and I was across the bay. I forget uh, the name of the place. um, Looking at the city, 
evening lights twinkling, got up in the morning, could see nothing because of the ash in the air from the Santa Rosa fire. You could see the glow from San Francisco. Houses got consumed. People got consumed on the roadways trying to exit. Paradise, a little town that hasn't recovered, may never recover, totally consumed by the power of a spark. That's this. Massive destruction. It has the ability to ruin a life or ruin someone else's life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You need to target it. It'll direct your life, it can destroy your life, and it can destroy someone else's life. It's dangerous, devastatingly destructive. And listen, you can use this tool at a distance. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 64, verse 3, talking about those who do secret in the counsel of evildoers. They do iniquity, verse 2, Psalm 64. Now listen to Psalm 64, verse 3. The secret counsel of the evildoer. They're hidden away someplace, counseling. They're evildoers and they produce iniquity. Listen to verse 3. Who have sharpened their tongue like a sword. They aimed bitter sweet speech as their arrow. So they're concealed... They're anonymous, if you will, and they're loading their word weapon and shooting it. And I couldn't help read this without thinking of the internet. Thinking about the power of words spoken in anonymity. The injury, the freedom that we can express, and I'm going to read you something that I came across this week, that uh, an article, read it yesterday. The internet practice of giving everyone the ability to express himself anonymously for millions to read has debased public discourse. Cursing ad hominem, attacks ad hominem is when you target the person, not the the subject. So you're, you're, you're attacking me, not my position. Cursing ad hominem, attacks... Utter absence of logic characterize a large percentage of internet website comments section. And it's because people tend to do what society says is okay to do, and many people, especially younger people, are coming to view such primitive forms of self-expression as acceptable. Some might argue that anonymity enables people to more freely express their thoughts, but this is not true. Anonymity only enables people to more freely express their feelings. Anonymity values feelings over thought and immediate expression over thoughtful reflection. Anyone interested in serious political discourse or in merely lowering the levels of hate in this country ought to require somebody to sign their name. And he goes on to argue just the liberty that we feel we have with this instrument, which is leveraged by the internet and our anonymity on it. It's like when you're in a car. You do things in a car that you wouldn't do in person with your name tag face-to-face. You express yourself in ways because you feel like nobody knows and there are no consequences. And a point I want to make at the end of our time together is you must target the tongue and introduce accountability for your tongue. 
because it can have, even at a distance, great impact on those that you speak about and the way that you speak about them. Here's another sobering thought. This is the person who verbally shoots the arrows. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 8, their own tongue is against them, and it causes them to fall down. Sometimes the arsonist of the tongue gets burned with their tongue. Notice what it says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. That's a reference to our body. Now watch this, very sobering, and sets on fire the course of our life. So who is the person injured by the ungoverned tongue? I am. The person who is not managing their tongue maturely in a Christian way, not refusing to speak damaging words, deceitful words, hurtful words, slanderous words, gossip words, negative speech words, look-at-me words, that person will be injured by their action. It sets on fire the entire course of their life. And it's ignited, it's set on fire, verse 6, by hell. So not only does it destroy, not only does it damage, not only does it devastate, it's devilish and dark. My tongue is a gateway to darkness. It's not just natural depravity, that would be true. In our human fallenness, this instrument out of the mouth, the heart speaks. What is in me ungoverned by the Spirit of God and the convictions of the person of God, is not honoring to God and it's hurtful to people. And it's ignited by my depravity and it's ignited by my enemy. Hell is Gehenna. It was a dump outside of Jerusalem. It burned night and day. Garbage dump. Hell is a garbage dump supernaturally inflamed by the accuser of the brethren who ignites this member. And James says it'll destroy you. It's dark, it's devilish, and it defiles your whole body. Don't miss that. Do anybody know what the word defile means? It means to stain, to make unclean. Listen to how it was used in the Old Testament. If I'm a priest and I want to go into the presence of God, if I'm an instrument, a Levite, and I want to serve God, I cannot be defiled. I cannot be stained with sin. He is holy. In order to have fellowship with God, I must be holy. And what James is saying is when I misuse this, I'll tell you how powerful it is, it disqualifies you from fellowship with God. It it disqualifies you from usefulness for God. When this instrument is ungoverned, it's not bridled, it's not restrained, I'm not going to have fellowship with God. I'm disqualified. I'm defiled. I'm stained. I'm a fountain pen person. Every once in a while, I have to refill a fountain pen. And every time I do, I get defiled with ink. 
very hard to figure out how to load a fountain pen without staining my fingers or my wife's Bible, ruining something because I'm playing with something that is hard to manage. Cornerstone Christian. Real Christians understand the power of the tongue to direct their life for good or not good. Real Christians understand the devastating consequences of words. Not only for someone else, even if they're spoken in secret, but the impact they have on you, even from a distance. And the way the fire can blow back on you and change and devastate and defile your life. So is it any wonder we should make the claim, real Christians? Genuine faith understands the value and the importance of the tongue and how to use it. I was tempted in reading this to go, James, this is hyperbole. It's not hyperbole. It's reality. You know what hyperbole is? It's exaggeration. It's using words in a way that are over the top. This is not meant to be over-the-top words. These are words that are meant to reflect the reality that we tend to undervalue. Verbal cyanide. Lethal, relentless, flaming missile which assaults with hellish power, blistering and destroying at will. And yet it doesn't look anything like a brutal beast that it is. Neatly hidden behind ivory palaces, our teeth. Its movements are an intriguing study of coordination. It can curl itself either into cheery whistle or a manipulative, lazy, impactful word of destruction. Those are not my words. That's a quote. The tongue. It defiles. It's deadly. It's like a poison. Verse 8. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, and watch this, full of deadly poison. Full has two flavors, full as in the volume and full as in the variety. It's got all kinds of characteristics. Psalm 140, verse 3, they sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. The reason the viper's poison is referenced is because of the quick killing power, the, the potency of a viper's venom. Romans three thirteen. their throat is an open grave. It's talking about un, oh, really all of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of humanity has been affected by fallenness and depravity, and the unsaved man has a throat that's an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This is a generic, general conclusion about humanity in depravity. We have a problem with our mouth. It's a death trap. It's an open grave. It's not life-giving. It swallows people in death. And it's full of deadly poison because it houses the words that express cursing and bitterness. Big quantity, volume, lots, big variety, all kinds. It is 
according to this passage, the world, verse 6, the very world of iniquity. It's like saying sea of troubles. The tongue, it's the hub of sinfulness, darkness. It's the engine, it's the hub. I don't know if you've seen these kind of fireworks, but it's a wheel that spins like a hub and it throws sparks everywhere and it just keeps spinning. That's your tongue. It's the comprehensive world that promotes sinful and evil activity. Lots and all kinds. Great collection of iniquity proceeds from the tongue. I'm quoting, There is no iniquity which an unbridled tongue is not capable of producing, either by itself when it curses, when it rails, when it teaches false doctrine, when it speaks evil of God and man, or by means of others when it entices, when it commands, it terrifies and persuades, when it causes others to sin, when it commits murders, adulteries, and every evil work. That's the tongue, and it's the engine of that, and it's ignited by depravity and darkness. So you know what it is? It's dangerous. It's a restless evil. Verse 7, here's a sobering thing. Every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. So I want to conclude with some big ideas to leave you with recognizing and hoping that you will not be casual with your tongue, you'll be intentional with your tongue. You'll grow up in understanding that I don't just get up and my words somehow are edifying and helpful. That actually the default spring-loaded position is my tongue is going to be hurtful, not helpful. It's going to hurt somebody. It's going to define my life and somebody else's life. And I want you to think about these words as we talk about not casual, but intentional. Therefore, because we recognize and understand the power of the tongue to direct and to destroy, because of its danger to defile, because of its darkness, the engine that fuels it, we must recognize it is untamable. You cannot domesticate it. It always needs to be governed controlled. It is not reliable. It is not trustworthy. Never. You don't grow out of the ability to injure or harm with your tongue. It is untamable. It is unmanageable without focus. Now listen, this is not saying you can't control it. It is saying you can't trust it. It's saying you can't ignore it. It's saying you have to focus on it because it's not manageable. The big cat who eats its trainer is the consequence of a casualness, maybe a laxness, and failing to recognition that this animal is not tame. This instrument is not tamed. Nobody can tame it which introduces the idea that you must focus on it. 
You must manage it. It is unruly and unpredictable. Notice the words restless evil. It's used of an animal pacing in a cage looking for an opportunity to exit. (laughs) This is my dog, Archie, the Labrador, who loves to surf for food at my house. Surf meaning you get up on a counter and you find whatever it is that you value. 75-pound dog on a kitchen counter. (laughs) It's not exaggerated. I've seen it with my own eyes. Here's what's true about Archie. You cannot stop watching him. He is smart enough to know when you're not in the room. He's restless. He's searching. He's angling. He's waiting. Looking for the obsession of his life, which is some food that he hasn't had that day. This member is restless. It's not content. It's always looking to break out. It's untamable. You can't domesticate it, and you can't trust it because it's always searching for opportunities to do evil, to behave fleshly, because it's energized by the enemy and by your fallen nature. No one expected No one can expect what it'll do. That's why we stumble in many ways. Out of nowhere, a word comes out, a reaction, a response. Obviously, Moses wasn't thinking about the rash words he spoke that dishonored God in public by what he did and what he said. found it interesting because it says he, he struck the rock that you would think that's the real issue. It wasn't just striking the rock, which is disobedience. It was the dishonor to God with the words he spoke that I'm sure were justified, nor did he expect it, But he did it. Untamable, untrustworthy, and unacceptable. I want you to notice verse 9. With it, a reference to the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. That's boasting of great things. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Now, the word curse means to tear down. It's to actually speak negative and evil and hurtful words. We would say, go to hell to somebody. That is a curse. You're saying, I want you to endure this catastrophic loss. God, I want you to damn them. I'm mistreating people with words in a way that are injurious, and I'm hoping for negative, hurtful consequences to them. That's cursing. I don't care how you dress it up or how blatant you say it. He is saying here that we bless God the Father in whose image we are made, and we curse men who bear that image. Verse 10, watch this. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be this way. Let me tell you what he just said. That's unacceptable. Can't happen. If you're a Christian, you bear the name of Jesus Christ, and you desire to bring honor and glory to him with your tongue in praise, like we sang earlier today, you cannot use that same tongue as an expression to harm those who are made in his image, to tear them down, 
to attack them with words, either publicly or privately, anonymously or overtly. It cannot be this way. And number two, not only is it unacceptable, you keep doing it, being a Christian for you is impossible. Watch what he says by way of analogy, three figures, verse 10, with the same mouth, or verse 11. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. You know what he just said by those analogies? You keep doing this, you keep producing this kind of pattern, this duplicity, this contradictive uh, hypocrisy. It's impossible for you to be a Christian. Just like it's impossible for salt water to bring forth fresh, a fig tree to be bearing olives. It's impossible. Uncontrollable. Untrustable, unacceptable for the Christian, and impossible as a pattern for your life with the claim, I'm a Christian. Cursing, harming, injuring, impacting people at loss is catastrophic to them because of its power. Listen, you can change a person's life. Some of you are living proof of that. Somebody has said something to you at a strategic space in your life. Some man has said something to you as a woman. Some father has said something to you as a child. Some wife has said something to her husband. Some boss or some respected one has said something to you about you. And that day something changed. Something changed. The way you think about you, the way you feel about who God made you to be, words are powerful and you're responsible. And there is no justification, no matter how much they dishonor God or dishonor you, to use words that aren't pleasing to the Lord to build up and not tear down. The reason you refrain your lips from evil is because you have to Point at it. Refrain means I stop a behavior that I'm inclined to pursue. So let me conclude with these parting applications. What do you do? Number one, you talk less. Silence. Publius, the Greek sage, put his finger on another technique that we tend to forget. He said, I've often regretted my speech. I've never regretted my silence. I will guard my way, says David in Psalm 39, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. A muzzle impedes the use of the tongue and the opening of the mouth. Silence. Number two, vigilance. Vigilance is, I'm paying attention. So it's talk less, think first. Vigilance. This matters, what I say today, how I say it, I'm paying attention. I'm not careless, I'm not casual. I am vigilant. Vigilant comes from visual, head up, eyes open. Now here's a word of exhortation. 
I am subjective about Harry. I always think I'm saying the right thing. That's overstated. But here's what I am saying that's not overstated. I don't always hear myself talk. So invite objective observers who can help you assess your language, your choice of words, the tone of your words, the need for your words. We have a little thing at my house. When you hear the word bananas, if you hear that in my presence from my wife, it's meaning, Harry, stop talking. That's not helpful. It means like right now, not another word. Now, why would that have to be said to me? Because I don't always see me. Accountability will help you see you. Hey, that hurtful. Don't defend yourself. Don't say, well, I didn't mean to hurt you, therefore it's okay. Really? I didn't hear that. I didn't feel that. I didn't notice that. Harry, did you see the way that woman behind the counter reacted to you? Actually, I didn't. You need help. Vigilance is you paying attention and inviting others to help you see what you don't see. Finally and fourth, thirdly, dependence. Dependence is I need help from the Holy Spirit to manage what I can't manage on my own. I'm going to finish with Psalm 19. Listen to the words, the prayer offered by the psalmist in conclusion of the psalm that highlights the words of God as holy and perfect and pure and transformational. Psalm 19, listen to how it ends after it talks about the value of the word of God. I just want you to feel verse 12. Silence, less words. Vigilance, paying attention to your words. Eyes up, head up. Finally, dependence, God's help. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Implication, there's things I'm doing that I'm not aware of. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Inspired words. Let the words, David to God, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, because words come out of what you think in your heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I need help with my mouth. Help me. I can say things presumptuous. I can acquit myself of words that are actually injurious. God, Help me. Dependence, vigilance, and less words, silence. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be exhorted by your word. Help us to take it seriously. Lord, I pray that we will be tools of grace, not injury and damage. Let no communication proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word, no corrupt communication, but only such a word as ministers grace to those who hear. It builds them up. It strengthens them. God, that's impossible without the governing, filling, empowering Spirit of God in us so that it's the fruit of heaven, not the fruit of darkness, our words. Lord, it has power. 
Help us to wield it well. Vigilant, constant, intentional, careful. We want to behave like a Christian. And Lord, I pray for the person whose mouth is consistently harmful, that they'll consider the character of their confession. Because Lord, this whole book is we can say it and not have it. And our mouth is indicative of it. So convict where it needs convicting, where we need convicting, and transform where we need to be transformed. We want to be what we're supposed to be, blessers of God, not cursers of men. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.